0: Hey, guess what, church? We're in Luke. We're in Luke. We made it past chapter 5. We're going to be in chapter 6. I'm getting ready to read it to you because you know we're going to read it and then we're going to study it. But I got to tell you, uh, the way this lined up, we're going to get to hear Jesus and see Jesus today handle a particular issue that we will have to handle for all of our lives. Now, not for eternity, because there will come a time when we pass when we pass from this earth and all the bad will go away, no more night, no more tears, no more confusion. We won't have to work anything out. We'll see him face to face, and we'll just know, all right? And the people who don't believe, they're going to know too. It's just one of them things. So we all going to know, and that's that, all right? But because we believe, we can have hope, right? And so, but while we're on this earth, we are constantly and consistently going to struggle with what Jesus has been struggling with for the past chapter, four different messages, and what he will continue to struggle with. I also need to say this. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, uh, there's a chapter in, my, in the book about this. There's a, a sermon from our core values about this. In our uh, Healthy Church series, this comes up twice, it's going to continue to come up because for the rest of our lives we're going to deal with the difference between legalism and license the difference between religiosity and relationships the difference between grace and the law we are going to always deal with it all right now i've also kind of painted a picture of jesus over the past few weeks that i want to clarify all right you know jesus is beginning his ministry and he is kind of he he is kind of um uh, playing around, all right, with, with the Pharisees. He is kind of being an instigator. Let's just call it what it is. But it's it's not a sinful instigating. It's not being a jerk, all right? But he is kind of pushing things together. And here's how you have to understand that. Jesus is a man, all right? He is a man. So he's probably thinking, man, I wish they weren't saying that. He has to be. He has to think and feel, all right? At the same time, he is also God, So he knows the plans, right? He knows who's going to put him on the cross. He knows the steps that it's going to take to get them to accuse him. And is he stirring the pot a little bit? Yes, but not in the way you or I stir the pot to be stinkers, all right? He is walking out the plan. And if you don't see him kind of instigating this a little bit, the Bible's not real to you. But if I can get you in there and seeing Jesus as God who knows the plan, but as man who thinks and feels, you know, a lot like we do, just... Without sin, then it's A, more fun, it's B, easier to understand, and C, we can actually learn to walk it ourselves, which is awesome about this, because Jesus talks it, then he walks it, so let's watch and see. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6, and it starts right, that would have been awesome if it had come up, it would have been right here, but now it's right here, and let's move on. One Sabbath, okay, the Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty big claim. This did not land the way the Pharisees wanted it to land, all right? That statement hit hard, and you need to understand why. In the Jewish culture, in Judaism itself, all right, uh, the Sabbath and the circumcision were major deals, all right? They were like super protected. They were watched over. So there were lots of rules about uh, uh, circumcision. There were lots of rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And it's almost like there were other rules about other things, but don't mess with these two things. It's kind of kind of like baptism and communion, all right? There are ways that different churches uh, understand it differently, right? But, but we all understand that it's the bread and body of Christ. We all understand that we are raised to life in Christ. You know, they're, they're, they're symbols. And, and if we give them too much credence, um, they become like ways in, and that's false, all right? But if we don't give them enough credence, we're not following in obedience to God in remembering him in following him in believer's baptism as he asked us to do and then showed us how to, okay? So you can't let it be so important that it gets in the way, but you can't forget about it either. And there's this balance going on that Jesus gets naturally, but that the Pharisees and teachers of the law don't get because they've become religious. They've become do instead of done. They've lost their need for a savior because if they're good enough, if they keep the rules enough, they will be good enough to get in, all right? And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible, actually, dichotomy. So Jesus knows this is coming, and I don't know if he did it on purpose, but since he's Jesus, he knew what was gonna happen. So he did it on purpose, but not did it on purpose, and I know that's confusing, but it's real because of who he is. So he's walking down the field, and he knows the Pharisees are following him. And he also knows the Pharisees are trying to trip him up, and they're looking for something. So he grabs the stalks and pulls some stuff off, rubs it in between his hands, and starts popping the kernels. And the guys behind him, they grab some the stalks, you know, get all the, the scruff off, the chaff and stuff, and then they start to eat. And somebody, you know, a guy with his nose in the air in the back goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. What are you doing? Busted. First of all, you're not supposed to eat that on the Sabbath day. Second of all, you've walked too far because you can't walk only so far on the Sabbath because you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And in our church, you can only walk 35 steps. And in their church, you can walk 40 steps. And in their church, you can... See, that's what they did. The Old Testament was just like now. You know why? Because we have Methodists, Presbyterians, Baptists, Catholics. We have all different belief systems based on what we think we like, right? Well, so did the priests. Some priests said, you can't work on Sundays. And the people said, well, what does that mean? And for us, it means you got to be like Chick-fil-A, right? (laughs) You can't work on Sundays, okay? But that kind of puts me in a pickle, doesn't it? If I can't work on Sundays, it's going to be really weird for you all to come in here and music to play, but nobody to be standing there. And then you sit there with your arm around your wife and, 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 you know, the college kids here, and you just stare at a blank space for 30 minutes, all right? And then you go home. Just awkward. So it doesn't work, Right? So that's not quite what it means. So we need to get back and dissect that. But this is what the religious leaders had made it. And their things were like, okay, okay, here's what we're going to do. In my church, you can work 30 steps is all you can walk on Sunday. Anything further is work. The next guy says, no, 50 steps. The next guy says, no, it's 75 steps unless you're carrying a mat. And if you're carrying a mat, that's harder. So you've got to back up to 25 steps. And this is how religion started. Religion. I don't like religion. This is how religion started. And they have this big list of rules, and now they're putting the rules to Jesus, and they're putting Jesus to the test. And they're using one of the big ones. Jesus knows what day of the week it is. It's Sunday, right? He knows. Well, it's Saturday, but Sabbath. It's the Sabbath, and that's what's important. He knows what day of the week it is, so he grabs the thing and knows he sees him. He knows what they're going to say. And then he turns around and he says, <clears throat> first of all, <laughs> And I think what he wanted to say was, you're picking on the wrong brother, but he didn't, all right? He has some restraint that we don't have, all right? He says, first of all, one of my pet peeves is when you pick a scripture and you use it for what you want. It makes you feel better about what you want and you ignore the rest. So you have gone back to the holy 10 commandments, which says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But you forgot that a little bit later down the road, King David, whom you love and honor and adore, did the exact same thing, except he went in the church house and ate what he wasn't supposed to eat. So is it this one, or is it this one? And then he says, let's be clear, though. The Son of Man, which he's called himself already, is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord. (laughs) He's like this, this very important Ceremony that you carry out, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than that. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Then, okay, so that's the talk, right? Then the walk. Check this out. On another Sabbath, what I wish it said was next week. That would have been better for me. Next week, because I see it happening that way. The next Sunday, he goes to church. We're supposed to go to church on Sunday, right? And he is preaching. So he's doing exactly what the Pharisees want, but he ain't gonna say anything like what they want. And they're watching and waiting, and people are just amazed by his teaching. We've already seen that, all right? And here's what went down. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse him so they watched him closely. They were trying to find something wrong but Jesus knew what they were thinking and he said, did the man with the shriveled hand get up and stand in front of everybody? And he did. Then Jesus said, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or do evil? To save a life or to take a life away? To heal a man or to leave him shriveled up? To make a blind man see or to leave him in the darkness? What 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 do what, what what do you think we should do? Well, the law says you can't do it today. Oh, okay. So I'm capable of paying for your meal today, but I'm not gonna. I'm capable of making you walk today, but I'm not gonna. I'm capable of introducing you to Jesus Christ and saving your soul today, but I'm not gonna, because it's Sunday. Do you hear how stupid that sounds? He looked around. And then said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious, and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. I'm going to get back to that, because what I have to say about that, you may or may not want to hear. But here's what happened in church that day. This guy's overlooked a little bit, because I don't think you understand exactly. I don't think I understood exactly what's going on. And, and I did this this morning, and I'm promising you, if you want to try this with me, it's, it, it's painful. It's, it's painful, all right? here's a, You have to imagine, and you think this through, that, that the end of your pinky, all right, that the tendons that hold those bones and stuff together and help you move, that they begin to tighten. And the muscles have to follow. And then your wrist, because it pulls from here to here, those tendons pull in then this one pulls in and shrivels up, all right? And it pulls this in, but if you're doing this with me, all of this is now tight, like my muscles are tight. It, it like hurts. And then if you get all the way in here, your bicep, yeah, your bicep then tightens up, all right? And your muscles are fully flexed, but they never unflex. You know what happens when you get a charley horse? Okay, imagine it being permanent until the muscles die. So this is, I mean, if I did this for three minutes, I'd probably be screaming in pain. This is permanent. And this man, this man has, has dreamed of a day when it didn't hurt. This man has dreamed of a time when it didn't hurt. But you know what? People, they just kind of push him aside. Well, I don't know what you did wrong, but you did something wrong. That's why you're getting punished, and push him aside. Then he goes to the church, and he's like, maybe they'll help. I'm sorry, you are unclean. So we're, we're glad you're here, but please stay outside. The place that should love him doesn't love him. The place says, you can't. we can't help you today. Jesus knows exactly what's going down. And he's preaching and he's waiting for the right moment. And this guy in the back, he's just happy that he's made it in the back door today because people are not paying attention to anything but this guy up front, Pharisees to try to get him and everybody else because they're in awe of him. Jesus knows when they're thinking it because that guy walks in and he sits down and he doesn't want to be noticed. And you know the next line gives him mixed emotions. Get up. Stand up in front of everybody. Listen, that's the last thing a handicapped person wants, isn't it? Hey, you can't stand very good, but stand up. Hey, your arm's all jacked up, but stand up in front of everybody. You you know, this guy's like, is the teacher getting ready to kick me out? Is he getting ready to throw me out too? Is this guy, what I've heard about, going to embarrass me in front of everyone? Are the people going to stare at me? This is a really awful and awkward moment. And then Jesus looks him in the eye, and something washes over him. And he looks at the Pharisees, and something washes over him. And he looks back at him, and he says, stretch out your hand. And I have to believe, I can't prove this, church, but I have to believe that Jesus went like this when he said it. Stretch out your hand." And the guy looks down and he starts to, his face starts to just turn white and his eyes get big because his elbow is coming up and he ain't doing it. And it hurts. You ever pulled a rubber band that's old and you can hear it creaking or tried to take a a, a mattress from a bed spring and pull on it and it makes that blink. Thunk thunk sound. You know what I'm talking about his 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 muscles. They're they're almost tearing, and his his ligaments are, are hurting, and it's 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 pulling away. But he he changes from this pain to this belief, from this belief to this overwhelmingness, from this overwhelmingness to this joy. And Jesus is reaching out, and he's reaching back, and the people are blown away, and the Pharisees are ticked off. We'll get to that in a minute. And Jesus smiles, and he smiles back, and then he pulls his best Forrest Gump. You know, you know, you know that's what that brother did all day. Everybody he saw. One time he messed up, and he went, nope. You know. All day long, brother. like, hey. Like Kermit the Frog on that meme. Ah, you know, he's having a ball. Jesus is giggling. And there are religious church people who are whining. Now, I am going to say this in the... I have to be really careful how I say what I say next because I want to say it not churchy. If you have a problem when Jesus blesses others and it hurts you, you need Jesus. If Jesus blesses others and it ticks you off, you need Jesus. And I ain't playing. Pharisees and teachers of the law were furious. Furious at what? Furious at what? that you've been doing it wrong for 50 years and now you can't win the argument because you're taking on truth? Your truth can't face the truth. I am the way. And what is it, don't hate the play, I hate the game? Jesus is like, I What? What? Jesus is, is, is you know, I, 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 it's not I want to be the truth. I didn't learn the truth. I didn't memorize the truth. I am from Exodus to today to forever. You lose unless you follow me, and then you win. Simple as that. And we are going to struggle with that yesterday, today, and until our time on earth is over, let me read something to you. I've always told you that if I can't say it better than what I found, I'm going to read what I found instead of trying. This comes from a, um, the old commentary, my grandfather's commentary, the one that Baptists used the most back in the day, Broadman and Holman Bible commentary, you know? And I still have it. You, if you've been in my office, you've seen them. They're maroon books up on my shelf. I got, I got another set at home because my granddaddy gave me his, and uh, another pastor gave me his. This is one paragraph. It's on two slides, but it's one paragraph right in between these two stories. So it breaks down each section and writes about it. Well, this is the last paragraph between the the grains and, and the man with the withered hand. Here's what it says. Thus the story illustrates the basic conflict between two diametrically opposed approaches to religion. In one, the religious rules and ritual requirements are made the center. Man is dehumanized and depersonalized because he is subordinated to the rules. The rules become more important than the humans. In Jesus' approach, man is at the center. He's not at the center of our worship. Listen, he's at the center of the religious debate. That's all. We're not putting man in the middle. God's the center. But in this case, humans in Jesus' approach, are more important than the rules. Human welfare and need take precedence over ceremony. To say that man is Lord of the Sabbath, one of the two most important Jewish religious institutions is to subordinate all others to him, him being a personified version of religion. The story shows that Jesus was not against the Sabbath as such. He was simply opposed to an interpretation that disregarded the primary worth of human beings. Jesus ain't opposed to the Sabbath. He's opposed to the way they, they saw the Sabbath, that ha- what it had become. Let me show you how it works. Ready? Let me show you how it works. Let's go to the verse that this all came from. Ten Commandments. Even if most of us haven't been in church, most of us know the Ten Commandments Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, honor your father and your mother, remember the Sabbath, and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Raise your hand if this is true. If you grew up in church and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy meant you got up, went to church, put your best clothes on, and didn't work on that day. If that's what you were taught, that remember the Sabbath and keep it holy means, raise your hand. Yeah, ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Doesn't mean that at all. Should you go to church? Well, yeah. Should you, should you wear, you know, your Sunday best, so to speak? I don't know. I mean, anymore, there are jeans that cost more than suits, so what up? Are we basing it on value or are we basing it on uh, holy? I mean, let's, you know, it doesn't mean that. And when I say it doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that I called your grandmother a liar. That means over the years there's a misinterpretation, and here it is. If remember the Sabbath and keep it holy means there are things that you can do to make Sunday better, you've screwed it up just like them. Let's look at what Mark said when he told the same story. When Mark told the same stories, here's the last verse, Mark 2, 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I didn't give you Sabbath so that there was something you could do to make it more important, to make it better. Sing better songs, wear better clothes, do better works, act better on that day, and the Sabbath will get more holy. No. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy means it is already holy. So what is the meaning, Craig, of remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? Stop trying to be more than God himself is. Don't be so arrogant that you think that you can work and do and be seven days a week when God worked for six days and took a break. The seventh day is for the Sabbath to pour into you, for you to find God, find hope, find peace, find rest, find energy, so that you can pour out the next six days. In other words, six days at 100% are better than seven days at 30%. The Sabbath is for you. You are not for the Sabbath, and God is Lord of the Sabbath. Any questions? There will always be. This overwhelming dichotomy between what we should and should not do when it comes to obedience versus religion. Because I can't say, hey, because God did all the work for you, you're saved, go do whatever you want. I cannot say that, and that is diametrically opposed to the Scriptures, right? But I also cannot say, here's all the things that you can do, because if there are things that we can do, there is no need for Jesus. And it is a constant battle between how that plays out and what our religion is versus what our relationship is. In fact, I can give you an incredible example of this. I don't know why he thought it was a good idea, but at 12.50 a.m., my brother-in-law texted me two nights ago <laughs> with two words, you up. I weren't. I were not. At about four, when uh, our guest came home from his third shift at work, I woke up and saw that uh, I had a text, and I was like, oh, something's wrong, and I missed it, I So I texted him the next morning because I was up to cook breakfast at 6.30 for the guys. And I texted George. I waited till 8. I was nice. He didn't text me back till about 10. (laughs) I was like, you up? (laughs) No. All right. No, I didn't. I said, hey, is everything okay? He said, yeah. And he started telling me this story. Well, this story follows a story that he told me a week ago. I want you to listen because this is this. And I forgot to tell it this morning. But this is this. So a a week ago, George is playing a, a show. And George plays... Some of you know him, all right? George Moulton sitting right down here. He plays at Mama's Last Chance Saloon, Austin City Limits. Uh, well, I don't even know what they call the one in in Moorhead now. Frankie's, Frankie's Place, all right. He he, he, he plays country music at, at at the bars. Well, most of the time, most of the time, he'll throw a song into the set. Sometimes at the end, sometimes in the middle, and he'll do what you've heard him do up here before: "How great thou art." He'll sing a real, you know, Bill Gaither country, give it to me, old school version of How Great Thou Art. And people are like, yeah, you know, and they're like, ah. Well, a week ago, he plays How Great Thou Art in in, in the bar, and after the show, this this young man, younger man, um, comes up to him, just tears rolling down his face. George is like, hey. (laughs) I mean, what do you do right then until you know what's up? And with tears coming down his face, he said, I've never heard anybody do that. I grew up a Christian. And I'm not quite, you know, the, you get the idea. Not quite where I need to be. And that song just pierced his spirit. And, you know, George didn't get on his knees and lead him to Jesus or back to Jesus or, you know, nothing. He thanked him. He said, I'm glad it blessed you. And, and, and the, the kid, We don't know. Maybe, maybe the kid is taking a turn. Maybe that was the beginning of the turn. Maybe that was the seed planted. We don't know. We don't get to read in. The song blessed his heart, right? Friday night, George sings, How Great Thou Art. And because I don't know anybody's name, I'm not condemning anyone. But here's what happened. A woman comes up to George and says, You should not be singing those kind of songs in a bar. That's a disgrace. George is like, well, I'm, you know, sorry you feel that way. And apparently the conversation deterred from that to her predicting his particular destination for doing such an act. That's a good way to put that, wasn't it? (laughs) She let George know because of singing a Jesus song in a bar where he was performing that, although she was there, that she knew more about the destination with which his afterlife would proceed. And George says, I'm going to be okay. When we both get to heaven, I'm going to say, boo, and ask her. I'll bring my right-hand man with me. I'm on a roll. (laughs) Guys, Jesus should have this much fun. So should Christians. But the truth better be in there. And here's the truth Jesus didn't lay out a list of rules and say, check this off and get your grade. He said, here are the things that will make your life more joyful, more hopeful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good. And as far as the grade goes. I took the test for you. And our job together is to work out everything in between with each situation from, from, from bars. To books. To Baptists. As we go, taking all of Scripture, not just a part, as our guide. Make sense? Okay. Love you. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Jesus, because like I prayed at 9, I know so much more now than I did at 845. And because I know more now than I did at 845 and all I've done is preach twice and I wasn't preaching to me, that means you were teaching for me. And for this, I am grateful. Thank you for allowing your words to come from me. Undeserved, a sinner, condemned, unclean. But you are marvelous and wonderful. And so help us as a church. Visitors, members, friends, family, new friends, new family, family. Help us as all of these things to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and lovingly and gracefully trample out legalism and religion and kindly and joyfully usher in grace, hope, and obedience. All these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.